Genesis chapter 22. You can follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 19. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies." In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, how weak and unable we are to walk and to live lives worthy of your grace and kindness. But we thank you that because of your mercy, not only do you call us to yourself, not only do you direct us and give us commands, but for all that you command, you are faithful to provide. Help us, Father, to continue to walk by faith and obedience, even when the cost is great, 
even when the test may be severe, so that your glory and your majesty can be put on display and so that we can be filled with joy in your promises and in your reward. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Genesis chapter 22 is a, is a heavy passage. If I were to try to, uh, at least for this morning, if you were to ask me tomorrow, I might have another way that I would try to sum it up. One of the things or the main thing that I want to try to impress you with in this passage is to consider that in this test of faith that is given to Abraham, what we see in Genesis 22 is that what God requires, God provides. What God requires, God provides. And I want to walk through this passage in, in, three, uh, in three sections. The first is to look at the, the test of faith, which is in verses 1 and 2. So the test of faith. Second, I want to take a look at Abraham's obedience in verses 3 through 10. And then third, I want to look at God's provision and blessing in verses 11 through 19. So the test of faith in verses 1, 1 and 2, Abraham's obedience in verses 3 through 10, and God's provision and blessing in verses 11 through 19. So let's start with the test itself in the first two verses. There are several things that we want to take note of in the way that this chapter opens up. Notice that the introduction to the chapter is made in the, in the first line by a time mark. 22.1, now it came about after these things. After what things? We say, well, after the things in chapter 21. Very good, because 21 comes before 22. 22 is after chapter 21. What happens in chapter 21? The last time that we were going through Genesis, we looked at the first part of Genesis 21, which is the fulfillment of the promise of Isaac's birth. We did not continue on in that chapter to see what happens in the aftermath of that. So if you would, turn back just a page or so to chapter 21 and look at verses 11 and 12. After Isaac's birth, Ishmael... Abraham's son through Hagar is still with them, and Ishmael is having, what, making fun of Isaac or taunting him like a big brother usually does with a younger brother or something like that. Sarah doesn't want to have anything of it, and so she tells Abraham, you need to get Hagar and Ishmael out of here. Genesis 21, verses 11 and 12, we read, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. The son that's being referenced there is Ishmael. Abraham does not want to send Ishmael away because however Ishmael got to be there, he is still Abraham's flesh and blood. He's attached to him. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son, but God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants will be named. And so Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael out. Chapter 22. After these things, after Abraham had sent his older son out, 
after he had separated from Ishmael, after he had been left with Isaac and only Isaac, after there was no plan B, nothing to fall back on, after these things, and some period of time apparently, before chapter 22, after those things, God comes and says, now Abraham, I want you to offer your son up on the altar. The pull, the weight, the heaviness of chapter 22 is no doubt attached in some way to the fact that Abraham is being asked to do the unthinkable. A father is being asked to eliminate his son by his own hand. But the pressure and the weight of this test of Abraham's faith is doubly heavy because Isaac is a unique son in that all of Abraham's hopes and dreams, hopes and dreams, by the way, that he has been given directly by God, are embodied in Isaac. If Isaac dies, if Abraham obeys the command that God has given him and kills his son on the altar, not only does he lose his son, he loses all of the promises of God. Do you feel that? It's not just that you lose family, you lose your future. Why go on living at that point? What do you have to live for? After those things, God came and spoke to Abraham. And notice the way that God addresses Abraham. He calls to Abraham and he says in verse 2, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Do you hear that? God could have very easily just said, take now your son to Moriah and offer him on the altar. You hear the, the, the piercing of the heart and the twist of the knife in Abraham's heart? Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. It almost sounds like God is intentionally exacerbating, ratcheting up the stress and the turmoil that Abraham is going to encounter in this test. And then third... After these things, Abraham is to take his only son, whom he loves, to offer him as a burnt offering. As a burnt offering. A burnt offering. What Abraham is being asked to do is to go to a location that he does not, is not aware of just yet. Go to a mountain that the Lord will show him. Build an altar and kill his son, and then because this offering to the Lord is meant to be a burnt offering, after he cuts his son's throat and watches him bleed out, he will then burn his son's body on the altar. I don't know how you respond to something like this. If it weren't for the fact that God has already, 
shown himself from the very opening pages of this story in Genesis to where we are in chapter 22, if God had not already shown himself to be good and kind and merciful, God would come across in these opening verses in chapter 22 as Abraham's enemy, as mocking Abraham, as playing and toying with him. He waited for 25 years for Isaac to come. He provides a miracle in bringing a son out of his barren womb, his wife's barren womb, when they are long past the ability to conceive and bear children. This miracle child, he lets the miracle child continue to remain with Abraham and Sarah long enough for a good, solid attachment to be built. And then he says, and now I want you to give him back. One of the other interesting things about the way that this scene opens up is that there's a striking similarity between the opening of the Genesis story, of, of the opening of the Abraham story in chapter 12, with the opening of this test in chapter 22. Remember in chapter 12, when God calls to Abraham, he says, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Leave everything, go to a land that I will show you. Here he says, I want you to go to a place that I will show you, and I want you to give, essentially, everything in the person of Isaac. I think one of the things that's happening here is that Genesis 12, where the Abraham story starts, is reaching its climax in Genesis 22. The call to go and leave is now the call to go and give your son. Abraham should be at this point coasting towards the finish line. And yet the hardest test that he has had to encounter comes near the end of his life. This is, this is what life is to walk with the Lord. You understand that? This test will come to you in various ways and in various degrees. Some of you have faced this kind of a test at the moment of your conversion. Where in order to follow Christ, in order to obey God's call to come to Him, you have had to give up friendships, plans, material possessions, whatever it is. You have had to sacrifice significant things to obey God's call on your life. Some of you have already lived through something of this experience. Some of you have not, but you will. Because Jesus himself said, as he turns in Luke and he sees masses of people following him, he turns to the crowds and he says, if anyone does not hate his mother and father, his brothers, his sisters, his wife, his children, and does not take up his own cross and follow me, he is not worthy to be my disciple. What is the one thing? The two things, the three things that you just could not give up. Whatever it is, that's what you love more than God. And so what will Abraham do when his faith comes to the point of the greatest test that he has encountered? 
How will he make it through this test recognizing that on the one hand, all of the promises that God has given him are embodied in Isaac. And if Isaac dies, the promises die. His future dies. His hope dies. And yet at the same time, reconcile that with the fact that God is faithful and that God has promised. Do you, do you see the tension here? Abraham cannot do the act, cannot obey in such a way that the promises remain intact, at least not from a human perspective. If he obeys, he kills the promises. If he doesn't obey, the promises remain. One of those two things has to go. So look then at Abraham's obedience. It is stunning. There is no record of Abraham speaking back to God. There is nothing but silence. What does Abraham do in the telling of the story after hearing what God has called him to do, to offer his son up as a burnt offering? What does Abraham do in verse 3? He gets up early in the morning and he sets about making preparations to obey God's command. You put me in that position, I am not waking up early in the morning. I'm sleeping in. And then after I sleep in, I've got a nap that I've got to get in the afternoon to rest up for this arduous journey and this great test. Abraham wakes up early in the morning and he gets everything that he needs to do what God has called him to do. He obeys instantly, immediately. And then notice also that this obedience is not impulsive. It's not as if Abraham wakes up first thing in the morning, he takes a deep breath, he does the deed, and then he's done with it. And he says, I'm glad that's over with. No. Abraham wakes up early in the morning, he sets himself in the process of obeying and how long does it take for him to actually get to the point of obedience? He travels for three days. What do you do if you're Abraham? And you're waiting to get to the point where the Lord says, this is it. This is where you give your son up. And you travel a full day... And the Lord doesn't speak. And you wake up the next day. And you travel a full day. And the Lord doesn't speak. And you travel on day three. And finally the Lord says. Here's the place Abraham. Can you imagine. The gut wrenching turmoil. That is going on. In Abraham's heart and mind. For three days. While he contemplates. Not only what it is that the Lord has asked him to do. But how he will do it. The only significant speech. 
that Abraham gives in chapter 22, he gives twice, or he gives two different statements in this middle section in verses 3 through 10. This is crucial for giving us some sort of insight into Abraham's mindset and his motivation in meeting this test. So look at what Abraham says in verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham is going to obey God's command to slay his son and to burn him on the altar. And Abraham uses shorthand for that and refers to it as worship. At the very least, one of the things that we ought to recognize in this test of faith is that one of the greatest demonstrations of worship is acts of obedience. You cannot, you cannot claim to fear the Lord. You cannot claim to follow Him and not obey. You cannot claim to worship God and not obey Him. But consider that probably what Abraham is doing here, Abraham does not know what, at least I don't think, I don't think Abraham knows exactly what he ought to say in this situation. Right? I don't think anyone has a clue what Abraham is about, what he's doing in this episode, and he's just trying to say or do whatever is necessary to get him to, to the act of obedience that God has called him to. And so, in light of the fact that it looks like they've made their way to worship on this mountaintop, that's what he tells his servants that they're going to do. We're going to worship. Of course, Abraham in his mind knows that by worship, he means offer his son up as a sacrifice on the altar. If this is worship, and I think that it is, if this act of obedience is itself an act of worship, How does this change our perspective on what it means to worship God? Did Abraham feel like worshiping in this way? Was Abraham pumped up? Was he excited? Was he eager? Or do you think that this act of worship is going to be heavy and costly and painful. Some of you come into this service and you're carrying the Lord only knows what kind of weight on your shoulders. Maybe you yourself 
are working through working through your own loss or the difficulties that come in following Christ. And when you come in on a Sunday morning and when the songs begin to play and when people begin to sing, (coughs) you don't feel like singing. okay sometimes the thing that God asks of you or requires of you you don't feel like giving it's okay Abraham didn't feel like giving his son up. But he was prepared to do it. There is something to be said for the fact that God is so kind that God is kind and gracious enough to accept our acts of obedience as worship that pleases Him even when our mind and our feelings are not quite in step with the act itself. If you walk in faith and obedience if you make the sacrifices, if you answer the call of Christ, even when it is difficult, even when it is costly, even when you are not excited or enthused about it, because you are obeying God's call, God counts that as his pleasure. And then we see later on in the New Testament that this same sort of idea is communicated by Paul. Romans 12, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your spiritual act of worship. Abraham is called to offer a son. We're called to offer everything. And giving up everything is not fun. But there is no, perhaps, no greater sign of our faith and our trust in the Lord than when we are called to obedience and at the point where we are least desirous of obeying, we obey anyway. So the first statement that Abraham makes 
he refers to this act that he's about to engage in as an act of worship. His obedience, in spite of his feelings, will in fact be a worshipful response to God's command. The second statement that he makes, he makes to his son Isaac. So a little bit later on, in verse 8, after Isaac asks his dad, I see we've got everything except for the animal to sacrifice. Dad, what gives? Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Again, I do not think that Abraham knows how this is going to play out. I do not think that Abraham is anticipating that there will be a ram special delivered, specially delivered to him and his son in a thicket on the top of this mountain. I think what Abraham is doing is, again, just trying to get through the obedience as best he can. And when his son asks him a very logical question, where's the offering? Abraham points his son back to the Lord. God's going to take care of that. One of the reasons why I don't think this is an indication that Abraham knows he's not going to kill his son is because of what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 11. So hold your place here. Go to Hebrews 11. And skip down with me to verse 17. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Stop right there. The New Testament author says, as far as Abraham was concerned... He did the act. It was settled in his mind. He made the offering that God called him to make. We know, of course, in the story that the only reason that Isaac was not offered as a sacrifice was because the Lord intervened at the last minute. But as far as Abraham was concerned, his son was as good as dead and dead at his own hand. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. Listen, verse 19. He considered that God would give him a substitute. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. You hear that? When Abraham says to Isaac, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb, a sacrifice, an offering, that is not Abraham confidently asserting that he is not going to watch his son die. According to Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us that Abraham fully expects to see his son die, but because he knows that God has promised to fulfill his plans through Isaac, Isaac cannot remain dead. 
Abraham does not know how this test is going to play itself out. All he knows is that God has called me to do this act of obedience and I'm going to do it. I don't know what will come of it. I don't know how to make these two opposing ideas, the sacrifice of Isaac and the fulfillment of the promises, I don't know how to fit those together. But I do know this, that if it takes a miracle in order for my obedience not to destroy God's promises, God can do a miracle. He's already seen it. If God can create Isaac out of nothing, can he not raise Isaac from the dead? But go a step further. Remember, because this is going to be a burnt offering, Abraham will kill his son He will burn his son's body, and yet Abraham, according to Hebrews 11, believes apparently that God is able to raise his son from the ashes. He formed Adam from dust. Can he reform Isaac from ashes? So what is God not able to do for you, for me, when he calls us to difficult acts of obedience as we follow Christ? Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? God does not, thankfully, ask us to be able to make sense out of how these things are going to play out. He does not ask us to know ahead of time what shape our obedience will take or what the results will be. He just simply calls us to live faithful lives of obedience, trusting that he will be true to his word and that in the end, everything will be made right. That is the Christian life. And so ultimately what Abraham does, when he's asked, where's the animal for the sacrifice? He puts it back on God and he says, it's in God's hands. If God is requiring that I offer up my son on the altar... He's provided a son to be offered on the altar. If the son that I'm going to offer up on the altar is the embodiment of the the promises that God has made to me, God is able to raise him from the dead to fulfill the promises. If God intends to do something different, God can do something different. It's in his hands. I'm just doing what God called me to do. That's not an easy way to live. But it is the life that we're called to. Look then at God's provision and blessing to Abraham in his act of obedience. Abraham comes to the point of actually drawing the knife across his son's throat. And at the last possible minute, the Lord intervenes. Abraham, I know that you fear me. 
because you haven't withheld your son. Abraham turns and he looks and he sees over in the thicket, he sees a ram. He takes the ram and notice in verse 13, Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. God required a sacrifice. God provided a sacrifice. Now, understand, this is the kind of test, this is the kind of deliverance that we all want to see in our times of crisis, in our crisis of faith. We want to have that experience where we're about to do something difficult and God swoops in at the last minute and says, ah, don't worry about it. I know that you're going to do it. You won't have to give anything up. This is unique. This is not the way that God typically works. You understand that, right? The reason that we know that especially for us as New Covenant people that God does not typically work this way is because God did not work this way when His Son was being offered up. Justice required a sacrifice. God provided a sacrifice. But no one swooped in at the last minute to save God's only son from encountering death. He died. And Paul and Peter and John and all the writers of the New Testament will go and say, this is the model of what it means to be part of God's covenant people now. It's death and suffering first, is resurrection and glory after. You don't get the resurrection and glory unless you go through the suffering and death first. But here's the point. Abraham offers up a substitute in Isaac's place, and he names the mountain, he names this location the Lord will provide. In the Hebrew, the word where we get provide is in, in common, just sort of standard ways, is the word for see. So we, so we use expressions like, he'll see to it that the tools that we need are there for the job, right? We, we understand what that means. He, he sees, he knows what it is that we need, therefore he'll, he'll provide. The same thing. The Lord will see to it that the sacrifice is provided. Okay? The point in this is not to say that every difficult act of obedience is going to be miraculously interrupted. It is to say, however, that every difficult act of obedience, God sees, and He sees what we need and gives us what we need in that moment. So, hold your place here. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 3. Who doesn't love to do their devotions in Chronicles, right?
By the way, what will, if, if Moses is writing this story to give to Israel, what do you think Israel is hearing as she hears this story? Who, do, who does Israel identify with? Could be Abraham, but it also could be Isaac, because doesn't Israel know that if Isaac had died, there would be no nation? Right? The promises die there as well. So when God provided for a sacrifice, he was providing for the life of his people to continue. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord, that is the temple, in Jerusalem... Where? On Mount Moriah. For generations, Israelites will come to this mountain and they will say to themselves, the Lord requires atonement to cover our sins. The Lord requires a sacrifice in order for us to continue to live. And look as they bring their lamb, as they bring their goat, as they bring their bull. Look what the Lord requires he has provided. The encouragement for you and I is not that our obedience is going to have a happy ending, at least in the here and now. Our obedience will come with, at times, gladness and rejoicing. Thank God for that. But there is a lot of obedience that will happen in this present age that will come with a lot of tears. But God sees what your struggle is, and God will give you what you need to obey. And then not only does God provide for the obedience that he calls us to, consider the blessing that God pronounces on Abraham at the very end. We're back in Genesis 22. Look at verse 15 and following. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time, or Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. That's a new line. Possessing the gate of the enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Listen, there is a mysterious element in this where on the one hand, the promises of God are rock solid certain. God was going to bless Abraham and his descendants. And yet, at the same time, God says, because you obeyed, your obedience works into factors into my blessing that is going to come to you and your descendants in the future. What does Jesus do when he goes to the cross? 
Does he go to the cross obeying his father because he feels good about crucifixion? Does he do it because he can't wait to feel the burden of perceived abandonment? Does that get his juices going? No. Hebrews 12 says that for the joy set before him, set ahead of him, he endured the cross. In other words, what Jesus did himself in his greatest act of obedience to his Father was he took his eyes off of the present circumstances and said, what is going to enable me to obey my Father's will, the command of my God, is to set my eyes on the reward to come. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll wrap up here. First Corinthians 15, verses 30 through 32, and then we're going to skip down to the very end of the chapter. So start at 1 Corinthians 15, 30 through 32. Paul is wrestling with the Corinthians because there are some in the Corinthian church who are denying or doubting that there is, in fact, a literal, physical, bodily resurrection to come in the future. And Paul is trying to correct that. Listen in part, just a small little part, to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.30. If the dead aren't raised, Paul says, 15.30, why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brothers, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If God can't do miracles, if he does not offer us something better in the age to come, why do any of this? Why obey? Why make sacrifices? If it's just going to end when you draw your last breath. But look at what Paul says at the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. After declaring that God in Christ will give us victory over death and new life, Paul sums it up this way. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Do you know what toil is? Toil is not the kind of work that you whistle to. Toil is burdensome, heavy, undesirable work. Toil is walking up a mountain to offer your son as a sacrifice. That's toil. On the other side of that, though, Abraham finds that his act of obedience is the ground on which God adds additional blessing and reward to him and his descendants for generations to come. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 
that all of this difficulty that we experience in this life, I die daily. If I'm doing this just from human motives, what is the point? But, but, if God gives us life after life after death, every single sacrifice, every single act of costly obedience will be rewarded. Your toil, your labor, your heavy burdens that you carry in obedience to the call of God in Christ is not in vain. This momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What God requires, He provides. In the end, all of the sacrifices will be more than worth it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how weak and how timid and how frail I am and we are. This dust that you hold together weak and riddled with imperfections and indwelling sin. We wrestle with the promises of your word. We fight doubt and deception. And yet, because of your Holy Spirit, whom you have made to dwell within us, we have hearts and minds that are constantly drawing us away, however painful, however slow, drawing us away from the passing pleasures of this life to find our greatest joy in service to you. Father, at times you are kind to give us the experience of joy and satisfaction in the moment that we obey. At other times, the obedience is difficult and costly. I ask, Father, that for the members of Edgewood Baptist, for your church scattered across the world, that you would cultivate in our hearts and in our minds an unshakable confidence that obedience to your command, to your word, will be worth it. That you will give us exactly what we need in our time of testing, that you see our needs and you ably provide for everything that is required. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that even when we find it difficult to worship and obey. You still receive us as your children because you count the perfect worship and obedience of Jesus Christ to be ours. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. And as we respond to the message that Jonathan, uh, that God spoke through Jonathan, uh, I just want you to think about what it is that you're putting before God right here in this very moment.
One thing, just one thing. What is it that you're putting before God? And as we sing this song, would you just sacrifice that? Would you, you say, Lord, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do away with this, and I'm going to put you first. As we continue to praise him and respond to that message, let's, let's stand as we worship him. for this day. Let us continue to surrender all to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.